Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay. With me, as always, is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I am I'm doing well. I'm sitting here chomping on my cigar. I'm reading Boudoir Magazine. Ooh, I'm ready for a, a quiet night guarding the morgue. Do you have a subscription? <laughs> I wish. I hear I hear the, the articles are very good in that one. Yeah, I mean, that's why I read it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> today, we are covering one of the greats. Not the, the movies we've done in the recent memory. Not not two of the greats. Psycho, get out of here. Get, get out, out, literally. Get out of here. Psycho, take some advice from the last one we did and get out of here. <laughs> uh, we are doing Reanimator from 1985. I actually didn't write it down. Close enough. Yeah. Sure. 1985. Yeah. It's number 48 on our list. It has a 94% Rotten Tomato score with an 82% audience score. Wow. Had you seen this one before? I had. It, it's actually been a while. I felt like I had seen it um more more recently and then when we were watching it i was like oh shit yeah no i haven't seen this in a really long time mm. yeah i i had seen i've seen this a number of times this is one where the first time that i saw this i think this was probably in that period where i was i was like looking for you know really getting into this stuff for the first time and and, and looking mm-hmm. to see what what uh, struck my fancy mm. and this was one where when it was over i went finally someone gets me <laughs> It ends and you realize you're crying and yes. whoever you're whoever you were watching it with is like Clay, are you okay? As soon like, as I just never felt so understood. Yes, as soon as the movie was over, I turned to my mother who was watching it with me, <laughs> horrified look on her face. Uh, is that true? No, it's not true. I was gonna say, your poor mom. If if that were the case, I would be like, you should be paying for your mother's therapy bill. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she'd like it. She probably wouldn't though. Um, yeah, this has been a favorite of mine for a long time. Um, it, it, it feels like it's one of those ones that is still kind of a cult movie, but it's mm-hmm. like, uh, it's like a just under the surface cult movie. So like you have your, 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 um, your main movies that everybody who's into this stuff knows. And then like the next rung down is where reanimator pops up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of one of those threshold movies where it's like if you if you're gonna get into this, Reanimator's like very very soon after you get into it. Yeah, this is this is a movie where I'm pretty sure I watched it because I am a giant nerd, and I was like, oh, it's based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. Mm. And then I watched it and was like, what? <laughs> like, what? Would H.P. Lovecraft have liked this movie? No. I don't know. There's no black people in it. <laughs> oh no, but there's women. Oh, there's there's one, naked. Th- oh, there's true. naked women. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, absolutely not. Probably not. It doesn't take place in his house. <laughs> which yeah, I don't yeah. think he ever wanted to go anywhere else. <laughs> no, he did not. And it's not about the um, the sort of staring into the cosmic abyss. Mm. Yeah, it's there's no... much more about bodies and flesh and blood and goo and he wasn't he wasn't as into that no thinly veiled racism at least as far as i can see yeah but there is there's plenty of thinly veiled homoeroticism so at least there's that that's true 
That's true. No. He would have loved that. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a quick break, play you the trailer, and then we'll come back and talk about Reanimator. Herbert West is at the top of his class in medical school. How can you teach such dribble? These people are here to learn, and you're closing their minds before they even have a chance. What are He's you? brilliant, but a little weird. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've conquered brain death. His experiments have always been unorthodox. It was dead. I but lately, they're getting out of hand. And he's just made a discovery that could wake up the dead. Herbert West has affected reanimation in dead animal tissue. What are you thinking? How do you feel? You? 15 cc's of reagent being administered. Once you wake up the dead, you've got a real mess on your hands. Dead? Not anymore. Herbert West brought a lot of dead people back to life. And not one of them showed any appreciation. H.P. Lovecraft's classic tale of horror, Reanimator. Mr. West. You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. It will scare you to pieces. Okay, Reanimator, directed by Stuart Gordon, written by Dennis Paoli, William Norris, and I think Stuart Gordon is listed as well. He's not listed on IMDb, but I think he's listed on the movie. Uh, based on the short story by H.P. Lovecraft, starring Jeffrey Combs, Bruce Abbott, who is not Casey Jones from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, the original one, because he looks exactly like that guy. So much so. Yeah. I thought it, when I when I first saw this guy, I was like, oh, wow, he looks just like the Casey Jones guy, like to a, a, an astounding degree. Hmm. And then, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Prophecy, where Christopher Walken plays an angel that kills people. I don't think so. So Casey Jones, whose name is uh, Elias Codius, is in that movie. Oh. Oh. He doesn't come back for the sequel, but the character is in it for a hot second, and they hire this guy to play the <gasps> character. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Huh. Uh, also starring David Gale, Robert Sampson, Arnold Schwarzenegger's stunt double in 14 films, Peter Kent, and every 80s horror fan's biggest crush, Barbara Crampton. Amanda, mm-hmm. what happens in Reanimator? At the University of Zurich... Herbert West brings his dead professor back to life. Following the horrific side effects involved in the procedure, West moves to the USA to further his studies. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> yep. That's all you get. Excellent. Okay, sure. I mean... Yeah. I mean, watch the movie if you want to know more. I, I guess. Geez. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, uh, some things you'll find in Reanimator include... Mm-hmm. Hans Gruber, not... That one. No, not 
Not the one everybody loves. The yeah. uh, qu- the quack scientist from Germany. That one. I wonder if they're related. Herr, Herr Doctor Gruber. Yeah, it's it's such a stra- It's such a specific name that I I maybe they the when they were re- one of the writers had read that the book that that Die Hard was based on and is I don't know if it's the same character. Anyway, it's just I such no a idea. weirdly specific name to use. Yeah. But it does sound quintessentially German. It does. So. Yeah. It, the name is a lot more believably German than Alan Rickman is in the movie. So. Yes. <laughs> um, a disconcertingly full morgue. Yeah. A lot of, lot, of, lot of dead bodies in that morgue. Um, what is happening in Arkham, Massachusetts? I don't know. It was, it's a teaching hospital. Right. But I still feel like, I don't know if teaching hospitals have access to like gunshot to the head victims and stuff. I I feel like that one should go to the the police. Well, and it just feels like like I don't know when they show you the hospital, it looks like it's kind of out in the burbs. It's not in like a major city. So why are all these people dying? Yeah, I don't know. Well, Arkham yeah. is a crazy place. There you go. Where books uh, are evil. I mean, that's why I love them. Mm. Emotion conveyed via pencil. Yeah, the the passive aggressive pencil snap is <laughs> yes one of my favorite. The double, yes. double. He does it twice. <laughs> He's got spares. Can't really do that anymore. Don't really need no. pencils in everyday life. I could do yeah, it. Yeah, and if if but... you were snapping your your like stylus that goes with your tablet, that would be a lot more of a a self own. Yes. Yes. Uh. You'll also find the literal embodiment of Schrodinger's cat. Yes, the cat that is both dead and alive and then dead and alive again. Yes. And then thrown at a high velocity at the wall. (laughs) And exploded against the wall. Uh, A padded room with a view. Yeah. uh, Professor Hill. (laughs) A view of an office. Just in his... In his office, just has like casually a padded like if he just wants to bring someone up yes. to observe them for while he's having lunch he or something. His own personal Renfield, he can just <clears throat> tuck them in there. Yeah, I guess. Uh, a head that gives head. Now, I don't want to get too blue here, but <laughs> isn't that how? How else would you do it? But it's just the head. Oh, I get it. Get now. it? Yeah. You get you get it now. Apparently, when David Gale's wife saw that scene, he turned to him and and gasped and gasped and said, "David, how could you?" <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> that's poor woman. That's one of those scenes. It's. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more. But it's, oh yeah, like it's just this movie's great. Anyway, continue. <laughs> 24 gallons of fake blood. Yes, the, the the person who was the special effects guy said the most he had ever used on a movie before this was maybe two gallons of blood. Oh, wow. And so this was uh, quite a step up. <laughs> Cyberdyne headquarters. Yeah, the, the uh, exterior for Miskatonic University is the same building that they used for Cyberdyne headquarters in Terminator 2. Hmm. Which is weird because this is one of these buildings where I know it immediately when I see it. Mm-hmm. Because of Reanimator, but I've never noticed it in Terminator. Huh. Uh, and last but not least, blatant psycho ripoff music. Yeah, like it's not even. It's yeah. like as I said at the end of last episode, <laughs> it is the Ice Ice Baby to psychos mm-hmm. under pressure. So, do we know anything about why? 
not that I could see. I, I've seen people acknowledge it, but I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I didn't watch all the special features. The The DVD that I have has an interview with the composer, mm. um, which I did not watch. I should have, but. Uh, well, then. That's your homework. Yeah. Everybody, find out. Let me know. <laughs> so, Reanimator. Mm-mm. Don't you just love it when films, just, filmmakers just get it? Like they just, they just, they just figure it out. This was Stuart Gordon's first movie. I, I was watching an interview with Barbara Crampton because I was much more interested in hearing her talk than the person who wrote the music. And she was saying that this was his first movie to the extent that he didn't even totally understand how movie making worked, like as far as like camera setups and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And but he was a big theater guy. Like he did a lot of theater directing yeah. in, I want to say Chicago. I can't remember if that's true, but somewhere, Believable. somewhere in there. And, uh, so he had a, obviously, uh, uh, he knew dramatics and he knew story structure and stuff, but he had never made a movie before. And it's, this is one of those rare movies that starts insane and then just gets more insane and at no point does it get less insane than it has already gotten. <laughs> and it's it's one of those things that I feel like a lot of modern horror movies don't get or don't have. Um, the the reference point I always use is Evil Dead, mm. where it's like once once they read the book in Evil Dead, the ball just rolls down the hill and it keeps rolling and the snowball just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, this is the same kind of movie where every scene is more ridiculous than the last one. And the last scene is the most ridiculous scene in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they give you that nice little um, shock intro though, where you get to see Herbert West in right. Zurich as his, as his uh, mentor is gruesomely dying from the, from the, what do they call it? The reagent. Yes. Um, And that sort of sets the tone and then it does dial it back for a little while from there it does yes like it pulls it it pulls it back it's sort of like okay it gives you the sort of jumping off point of like this is what you're getting into you should shut this off now if this isn't your thing right and then it does give you a pause of like wait a minute all right where are we who is this what's going on but it's not a long pause (laughs) no no (laughs) like we we get like morgue scenes and reanimated cats and um all sorts of shenanigans pretty pretty fucking quickly pretty quickly yeah 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 it's um it's a very lean movie too it's like i think mm-hmm. it's like 85 minutes or something it might even be shorter than that it's a pretty short movie yeah Appar- it's quick. apparently the original cut was like a two and a half hours holy and shit, so they how? managed to i don't know and so they managed to really really trim stuff back and it's how? <laughs> it is um it's the kind of movie where it's just like Every scene just kind of does what it needs to do, and then the movie just keeps mm-hmm. moving forward. And you know, one of the things we were talking about last night is there was apparently a subplot that involved Doctor Hill having like hypnosis, hypnotic, or like mind mm-hmm. control powers. Mm-hmm. Pieces of which you can still see in the movie, like when he goes to see West and he tells him to give him the book, and West kind of like zones out and just hands him the book with the notes in it and uh, yeah even the way that ultimately he ends up controlling the zombies i think if i had to guess i think it was probably they needed to figure out a way for him to be able to control all these zombies and they 
Mm-hmm. If I if I know the writing process the way that I think I do, that was probably a long argument about how they were going to yeah. justify that. And then eventually, <laughs> when it came down to it, they said, you know what? It doesn't matter. Right. Right. And I think that works so well in this movie of all movies, because one of the reasons I really like this movie is that it does not attempt to explain anything. Like, right. They just, sure, he's made this serum. It can reanimate dead creatures. Sometimes they come back and they're extra violent. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they come back and they can still sort of talk. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, like there's no, and there's no attempt to explain why really other than like he wants the power to do it. There's no like backstory for Herbert West aside from I was in Zurich and I kind of killed Hans Gruber. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no here's how the serum works. Here's how Dr. Hill can control the other zombies. Here's why this, they're like, Nope, Nope. This is just what happened. Yep. <laughs> like we're just gonna, we're just gonna do these things because they're insane looking and they're fun. And we're not going to get bogged down in all the details of like, wait, but what if this were to happen? What would happen then? Yeah. They, they don't give you any parameters to what the reagent can and can't do which allows them to do whatever they want. So they, you know, you've got that, they go, they start going through it like a little bit when it's Dan and Herbert reanimating the first guy in the morgue. And there, he's talking about like the time and the dosage and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, Oh, you put it in the brain. He's like, yeah, of course I put it in the brain. Where else would I put it? (laughs) And then by the end of the movie, he's just like sticking it into body parts and like reanimating headless corpses and shit. Like it doesn't have any rhyme or reason. And it would be stupid if it did. He reanimates Dr. Hill's head and then his body comes back too, even though they are separate pieces now. Well, he does, he does juice the body up. He does. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I, I was thinking as that scene was happening, I was thinking about that. I was like, wait, how does the body come back? And he does, there is like a a little line in there where he just goes, well, I mean, I've, I've never tried it on single limbs before. Like that's just Ah. like, oh yeah. So he injects the body and the head just to see what happens. And that's one of the things that I really love about this movie is um, for a movie that is so quick and so lean, I think Mm -hmm. the characters are actually really, really well drawn. I think Herbert Herbert is someone who, and Dan, but Herbert mostly is so, he's driven almost exclusively by his knowledge the, the the quest for knowledge and to be like the best at this sector of science and, and innovate to the yeah. point where he's just killed a guy and even at that point he's like well you know i don't want to waste the opportunity to get some new data <laughs> right. you know yeah he's he's sort of dr frankenstein if all of all of the dr frankenstein morality was like removed yes from it all of that sort of tortured like I I I do kind of want to talk about how this compares to Frankenstein a little bit, sure. Because I think the comparison is very like in your face, and they're doing it on purpose. Um, where in Frankenstein, the whole thing is kind of like, is Doctor Frankenstein going to choose his ungodly, you know, blasphemous experiments, or is he going to choose a more 
quote unquote good or stable life. Right. Like your fiance and you're, you get married and you settle down and you have kids and you, you live a good Christian life. Or do you pursue this kind of unholy scientific against nature track that you're following? Mm-hmm. In reanimator, Herbert West doesn't have any interest in option in option one of like settling down and being a normal guy he is like full in on the like godless unholy scientific track yeah i'm gonna do these things because i can and because somebody should because of science well what's funny is they split frankenstein basically into two characters right because what dan is dan is sort of a mix of frankenstein and you know frankenstein's assistant but he mm-hmm. he does have all the compassion that Herbert doesn't have. But yeah. Dan also has that same drive. So you get into these situations with Dan where he's got this conflict about whether or not he's doing the right thing or just, you know, realizing what they're doing is insane and unethical and crazy. But then mm-hmm. Herbert will be like, yeah, but, you know did you see what just happened? And he's like, yeah, we should probably keep going. You know, like it's, he's, <laughs> he's got, yeah. I think, I think they do a great job for, for as much of like, a, uh, just sort of like a cipher that Dan ends up being as the movie goes on. Mm-hmm. I think they actually set him up pretty well because that first scene yeah, in the hospital where he can't revive that woman, you know, they establish pretty quickly that he has a preoccupation with losing patience and, you yep. know, it really affects him. And so regardless of whether or not what Herbert is doing is right, he sees this as a, as twisted as it might be, an opportunity to conquer the thing that is that he is inconquerable. So it's it's very alluring, even though it ends up with giant bodybuilder zombies killing his potential (laughs) father-in-law well and and i think that like it kind of shows that like so herbert has an absolute lack of like humanity and empathy and compassion like he does not care dan has an overabundance yep like that opening scene that you were talking about where he's trying to resuscitate the woman in the emergency room and you know he's a they're they're med students so he's not a full doctor yet and the doctor who is there with him that woman with the glasses says to him something like you know you're you're a good student you're going to be a good doctor but good doctors know when to stop yeah like they know when it, it's when they know when it's over they know when to let it go and the whole this whole movie is like shows that dan doesn't right like he he can't he can't let it go it's like his his drive to help people and his overabundance of compassion pushes him towards the exact same actions that West with his lack of compassion takes. So it's right. almost like he comes full circle. Like <laughs> they go so far in one direction, you come around the other side again and you end up they end up doing the same thing. Yeah. And and Herbert knows, right? Like Herbert Herbert knows. Mm-hmm. He can see that in Dan because all of those scenes where Dan's freaking out about stuff Herbert knows all it takes is just another step forward to get Dan mm-hmm. back on his side. Whether or not he's lying to him, it depends on the scene. Because there are a few scenes where I'm pretty sure he just lies to his face. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you think Herbert killed the cat? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
I do too. I, I think it's I, I think they do a good job of keeping it vague enough that really it could go either way, but mm-hmm. Herbert doesn't seem like the kind of person who's not gonna just kill a cat to if he needs a subject, you know. Right, I don't know especially where his notes talk about how he's done this on X amount of different animals. Yeah. I don't know if he killed Gruber. That might be a little bit more uh, gray. I don't Mm. know why he would have killed Gruber because, you know, they were kind of working together. So I don't really think it matters. But yeah, um, I don't get the vibe that he did. I could see that being something like, I don't know, Gruber had a heart attack. Right, right. But yeah, there's there's that like the scene where uh, Meg's father, uh, Dean Halsey, Mm-hmm. gets killed uh when dan freaks out all it takes to bring him back into the fold is herbert saying we're never gonna get another chance with a corpse this fresh and he's like yeah ah, all right go for it <laughs> right like he can't he can't resist and it's so interesting like i, I kind of i half jokingly but i'm also kind of serious when i said that um they're like the homoerotic undertones in this Mm -hmm. like dan cannot resist herbert right like he he just can't he can't say no to him he tries and he he kind of does and then he always ends up sort of giving in right and following herbert deeper and deeper into this insanity at the expense of his relationship with meg Mm -hmm. who gets sort of just like shoved off to the side and then uh horrifically victimized yes quite (laughs) And Herbert, on his end, you know, I, I don't know if I would Hates say it's... Meg. Yeah, I don't know if I would say there's there's a romantic attraction or anything, but I think there is... I think there is the attraction of... Um, he knows Dan is controllable. And yeah. he sees Meg, Meg is someone who has the same amount, if not more, sway on Dan than Herbert does. So mm-hmm. every scene where Meg shows up, Herbert is very clearly unhappy to see her. Then there's that one scene where under his breath, he just goes like, God, I hate that bitch or whatever. It's something yeah. like that. <laughs> he's so he's so petty and so catty. It makes him really fun to watch. Like, because he's just he's always like very um, in a in a weird way. Herbert is always very proper. Like he's very prim mm. um, and very put together as much as he can be in various scenes. But he's so catty that it's hysterical. Like yeah. so many of his line deliveries absolutely kill me. Could like, you? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Just when when the uh, the first reanimated zombie in the morgue is attacking them and he's trying to save save the Dean and he picks up the bone saw and just goes like, he, I forget how what he says, but he's pretty much just like, Dan, step out of the way. Yeah. He says, <laughs> like, I think I wrote it down. I think he says, uh. I don't know. Maybe I didn't. But it's, yeah, it's like, Dan, yeah. look out. Like, very, yes, <laughs> very blase about it. No urgency whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. You know, a little bit of tangent here. Mm. Um, I don't know why, but bone saws creep the mm. fuck out of me. And I, and I yeah. think it has to do because I, I think maybe, do they use those to cut casts off? They probably do, right? I've, uh, I think there's actually a, usually a different a different one. Thingy. Okay, yeah, because it won't cut your oh, skin; sure, sure. it will just yeah. cut the cast. So yeah. my only my only interaction, if you want to call it that, with bone saws are in <laughs> movies like this when they're usually used to like crack open a skull or something. 
And so yeah. I think I must have seen a movie that featured that happening in it when I was pretty young because mm-hmm. I have always they always give me like a a shiver up my back anytime I see one in a movie like this. Well, they, that makes a ton of sense to me because they are like literally created and named for one purpose. That's true. Yes. Like <laughs> it's not the same as people who are like, I, oh, I don't know, like chainsaws are scary. It's like, yeah, but also like landscapers use chainsaws to fell trees and you know like like chainsaws are also just a tool that you see around sometimes a bone saw Mm. (laughs) like if you're ever in a situation where a bone saw is necessary for you you're in trouble yes like that's a that's a bad situation for you (laughs) they have one job and they're always ready to do it because as macho man says in spider-man bone saw is ready but yeah, I, it reminds me of, um, there's a great episode of, at least it was great in my memory, of uh, Tales from the Crypt, where um, mm. it's uh, Bo, Bo Bridges, and I can't remember who the other guy is, play two brothers who are doctors, and mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a little bit of a reanimator vibe where they're, the, the Bo Bridges is doing research into uh, death and like when the body loses consciousness completely and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And so, and he goes down. His brother lures him down into the morgue uh, because he's got the, the. He wants to show him something with this body that came in. And then the as they're looking at the body, the body sits up and oh. and reaches out for Bo Bridges, it, which freaks him out and causes him to have a stroke. And oh. um, it was just it was a setup for a surprise party for his birthday oh. or something. <laughs> But the brother, ends up, he ends up having a stroke, which ends up, uh, I think he ends up no longer having a surgeon, a surgeon, surgery career because he can't use half of his body anymore. Oh, my God. And so he ends up playing a similar joke on his brother that's a lot more intense, where mm. he poisons him and makes him think that he is dead. So he's like paralyzed. And then puts him through the entire experience of having an what he thinks is the experience of having an autopsy done on him while he's still conscious inside his own body. Damn. And then at the end he reveals that it was all a trick, but then the brother has a heart attack and dies. Oh my god. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's it's a good episode. But a lot of bone saw yeah. action in that one. I think that may be where it might have been where it came from, but Yeah, I feel I feel like your 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 feelings about bone saws like Hold that feeling in your mind for a second. And that's kind of how I felt about the um, medical tools that they show in Dead Ringers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's all like, quote unquote, gynecological instruments. Mm -hmm. But they all look like women. Yes, exactly. Like (laughs) that's those give me a similar feeling where I'm just like, ah, fuck. No, that's nope. That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But to get back to the characters, uh, can, Mm. can you imagine anybody else playing the role of Herbert West? I don't know. Like, uh, no, Jeffrey Combs is just such a specific looking person mm-hmm. with such a specific acting style that creates mm-hmm. this character. That is just, there's, you could never, I don't think you could ever remake this because anybody trying to do Herbert West is just going to be a massive step down. Mm-hmm. He's just so, 
uh, he's quirky, he's creepy, but you can tell Jeffrey Combs gets it. And he yeah. plays he plays the scenes perfectly as far as like the tone and the comedy that they're going for. Well, and and there's something like he he's not the protagonist, but there's something about him that makes you as the viewer enjoy him. Yeah. Like even when he's being in an irrationally unreasonably bad person and doing horrible things, the comedy, his comedic timing and his delivery of so much is so spot on that it, it you just like watching him is such a pleasure. I think that in a in a different in less skillful hands, this character could slide very quickly into like smarmy or slimy or kind of grating. Yeah. And he manages not to do that, which I think is really impressive. Yeah. And when he delivers his ridiculous lines, he does it so dryly as well. Like he's so mm-hmm. he's he's got a self-satisfaction about what he's saying that is different yes. than like the intention of the line, which makes it that yes. much better. Like at the end when he says <laughs> when he says to Hill, who's going to believe a talking head? Get a get a job in a sideshow or something like that. Yeah. It's like he just he puts so much stank on it in a way that he's just so self-satisfied with the, the barb he's that he's thrown so at this bitchy. guy. <laughs> I love it. Oh God. Yeah, and 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 just touching back on his sort of rivalry with Meg a little bit. Mm. I don't think he's I'm going to say he's jealous of Meg, but not because I think he is attracted to Dan. Right. It's more like, no, 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 this this one's mine. Like right, he, yeah, exactly. He, yeah. yeah, it's like he understands my work. He wants to help me with my work. He's going to help me with my work. I need him more than you do. You know, Right. you're beneath us. Get out of here. We don't need you. It's yeah. more like that vibe than anything else, but it's really funny to watch. Yeah, it's funny because I think, you know, you say he's not the protagonist, and I guess technically he's not because the, the point of view character is Dan for the most part. Mm-hmm. But their relationship is, it's almost like Sherlock Holmes and Watson to an extent. Yeah. Where like, yeah. even though this movie doesn't have any narration or anything, this feels like you're watching dan recount the events of his experience with herbert you know well i'm, I'm pretty sure that's how the original lovecraft it story is. was written it is yeah, yeah. yeah which is which is which yeah. is nice that they've managed to uh uh what's the word i'm looking for retain that element without resorting mm-hmm. to voiceovers when i first met herbert west yeah <laughs> i had just finished having sex with my girlfriend yeah <laughs> Um, um go ahead. Mm. no no just just i i like that too that it kind of retains that you're 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 kind of stepped back one level somehow even from dan um and yeah i think i think the the sherlock holmes and watson comparison is a good one and you know you just you don't spend any real time with herbert so you don't mm-hmm. get to know him outside of what he's doing in each scene. I know that, of course, that's every character, but you know what I mean? Where it's like, right. Dan, Dan, you're seeing go through this whole story, whereas Herbert, you're just kind of dropping in on moments when he's doing uh, insane things. So mm-hmm. you, he's he's kind of impenetrable as to like what's actually going on in his mind in a way that Dan very much isn't. 
Right. And I, and I think that works really well yeah. in the movie. And like we, like we were kind of saying, um, this movie is really good at having clearly defined characters. Like you get the kind of person that Dan is very quickly. You get the kind of person that Herbert is very quickly. You get how Meg is very quickly. Like mm-hmm. everybody like like they should seem one dimensional and and in some ways they do but it's like the only dimension they need for the story to work yeah it's i don't know clear, I'm, I'm, it's just clear you know it's it's clear yeah. motivation where mm-hmm. yeah. you know we talk about this in star when oh, we talk about star trek a lot the problem with a lot of the later star trek shows that tng had or or did really well is any situation in tng the characters were well drawn enough that you knew kind of where they were going to come in dramatically for each mm. uh, conflict. So you knew mm. that Worf and Riker were not going to see eye to eye based on this because you know what their personalities are. <clears throat> Whereas in the later yeah. shows, they don't really do any of that. Everybody's just sort of a blank canvas. And so it's a lot harder for them to get any real drama out of stuff. And I think mm-hmm. that's what this movie does really well is these characters are they're simple but they're consistent, and so you know every every scene you understand what the the dramatic tension is, and it yeah. just you know works it to uh, to to move the story forward. I will say, I don't think I think Meg gets the short end of the stick character wise sure. because yeah. I mean as, as expected because the 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 focus is just so much on Dan and, and Herbert, but she's not quite as interesting. As they are, even though, I mean, her drive is, I guess, equally as clear, you know, she loves Dan, but she's also, you know, loves her father and there's a conflict Mm -hmm. there. But aside from that, she, she kind of gets characterization wise, uh, uh, the short end of the stick. Yeah, which is which is too bad because the, the actress does such an amazing job with what little she is given. Yeah, she's really great. Yeah, she like she takes that pretty like you know, stereotypical uh, young damsel in distress type character. And I think, she, I think she does a good job with it. Like I, I like the fact that when she first meets Herbert, she immediately clocks him as bad news. Yeah. Like he doesn't need to do much for her to just kind of try to try to like signal to Dan, like, don't, don't do this. Don't get involved with this guy. Like, please don't do this. And she never wavers in that. Like, She's she's always aware of the fact that he that Herbert is dragging Dan into something that is going to disrupt her and Dan's future together. And and she's right. Like she's not jealous for no reason. She's she's absolutely right. And her dad ends up dying for it, and all these other people end up dying for it, and she ends up dying for it. Mm-hmm. And so I always I always get to the end of this movie and I'm just like Oh, poor Meg. Yeah. She yes. didn't really do anything to deserve any of this. Yeah, she really gets put through the ringer in this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think I think what helps though is as uh I don't want to say shallow is not the right word, but like you're saying, she's a little mm-hmm. bit more one dimensional. But I think mm-hmm. what, what works to uh buffer that is that Barbara Crampton is just so authentic. Like she, she just plays it really well and comes off as, as the good hearted person that you need her to be. Um, Yeah. That, 
that makes it that makes it work in a way that I think if you had a lesser actress in the role, I think it would have been pretty rough. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I and I also think that like this movie does toe the line of not making her just the bitchy or just the nagging girlfriend. Right. Yeah. Like she and Dan have fights, but usually they're over something you can see happening. It's not her like insanely overreacting to something or just like being nasty to him for no reason, which happens a lot in these types of movies. I feel like it's Mm -hmm. like the, the, the girlfriend or the boyfriend or whoever just ends up being kind of a jerk just to create conflict between the, the, the main character and his partner. Mm hmm. And and in this, they don't need to go that route because Herbert's there. <laughs> right. Like, like he's, he is bitchy and dangerous enough that she can kind of be good hearted. And I think then having her be the daughter of the Dean and having the Dean die means like you kind of understand why she's still in this movie. Yeah. Whereas in like other movies, sometimes you're a little bit like, Oh, I don't care about this lot like this romance side plot. I, I I don't really give a shit about it. I want to know what happens with the other stuff. At least in this movie, it's like no, she's very much tied into all of what's happening here. And then having Doctor Hill be secretly obsessed with her adds a whole nother level of like oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always found I think one of the things that gets a little muddy is the the extent to which their uh, her and Dan's relationship is known because mm. early on when she's very kindly for everybody in the audience putting her bra on directly in the front of the camera yeah. um <laughs> she says she can't stay because her father knows that she's there but then later on Herbert is uses the fact that he knows Dan is sleeping with the dean's daughter as like a a threat so I I, I I think sorry no go ahead just I I I think the specific thing is that they are sleeping together that's true yeah I think it's because I think Dean Halsey knows that they're dating because mm-hmm. during the um the weird dinner scene where Meg has cooked dinner for her dad and Doctor Hill. And they're drinking wine, and then she's like, look, I, I gotta go, Dan's here, we're gonna go study. As they're sort of getting ready to leave, or they've left, Hill says to the dean, oh, so your daughter is seeing Dan Dan Kane, huh? That, that's right, that's right. And he's like, yeah, you know, he seems like a good guy, and blah, blah, blah. And so I think it's the fact that they're having sex is yeah. the part that... <laughs> Dean Halsey would object to and why Meg is like look I can't stay here too long because if I stay too long my dad is going to start getting suspicious that we're not just studying yeah and he she does have that line where she refers to him as like the last living Puritan or something like that yes yeah so yeah that that makes that does make sense um how do you feel about Hill (laughs) I I love I love him yeah I think he's, I think that actor, I know he hasn't been it. He wasn't in much, was he? Not really. I, I have to assume he must have been like a stage guy. Yeah. Um. The It's funny. Uh, <laughs> something I never would have expected, Um. you know, a girlfriend of mine to say. But uh, mm. well, we're watching Reanimator 
and and she when he comes on the screen she turns to me and goes is that the guy from the brain and i was like yes that is the guy from the brain <laughs> the, wow. the only other uh you know shitty exploitation horror movie that this guy was in um so that was very clearly impressive. clearly you guys have been together for a long time yeah yes yeah. my my influence is is arguably too strong um i just think he's fantastic yes he's great um looks like he did a lot of tv now that i'm looking at his ah because like i recognize his face when i see him Mm -hmm. and and i i kind of don't understand why he wasn't more of a he looks exactly like andrew jackson (laughs) (laughs) oh no not andrew jackson uh (laughs) carrie the senator carrie what the hell is his first name john carrie John Carrie. he looks just like john (laughs) carrie What's actually say. what's actually really it's funny so is hmm. uh, there's another actor who looks just like this guy. Oh, maybe is... I'm thinking about him sometimes. Then so I thought so. He this other guy is in Creep Show. He's in the the section mm. of Creep Show with the um, where there's the monster from the Antarctic inside the box. Oh, he shit. Looks... I might have been conflating these two. You might people. have because they look almost <laughs> identical. And I've seen that guy. In other stuff, mm-hmm. I just saw him on an episode of Murder She Wrote recently because I'm <laughs> 75 years old. Um, so he pops up more. I've only seen David Gale, okay. this guy David Gale, in a couple things. All right, maybe I'm. I think I'm definitely conflating David Gale with another person, but I will stand by my claim that I think he is excellent in this. Yes, he he's great. Um. I think watching both the actors who uh, watching him and the actor who is Dean Halsey go from these very uptight staid doctoral types to gore covered uh, chaos zombies <laughs> is really fun. Yeah. Like wa- watching them get to do both is, is like really enjoyable. And I think they, they do the switch really well. Um, I think Dr. Hill is one of the best villains in a movie, especially like a, a movie like this. Yeah. Because he's believably formidable, even as a, an undead zombie who's had his head get taken off. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is just so gross and creepy. Like he's so, he's so disgusting <laughs> and everything he does is so like just slimy and upsetting it, it, he he does a really great job. Yeah, I have to assume. I hope that they had fun. Those two guys had fun making. I hope this so movie. too. Because <laughs> he goes he goes for it. You know, like that. You. I, oh he, yeah. If if he hated every minute of being a severed head in a tray full of blood, <laughs> you can't tell because it see it, it feels like they're having the time of their lives doing this stuff. Yeah, he seemed like he uh, he really just fully committed to sticking his tongue in that girl's ear. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, never mind. Um, but yeah, Hill Hill's a really good character because he's. I, and I, to go back yeah. to the the subplot that they cut out about the uh, the hypnosis thing, mm-hmm. I, as you as you said last night, it it would feel like one thing too many in this movie that already yeah. has a lot of things in it. And I think you're right. It's yes. just like I. It feels like. Because the the thing that it's connected to, I think, which makes me feel like I can parse out the the creative decision as to why they came up with in the first place, 
is the other thing in the movie that I, I feel like is kind of, it stands out to me as being a little bit um, out of place, which is mm. the argument between Hill and West about the location of the will in the brain. Yeah. Because they're, they both come off as very scientific people. And that idea is a very abstract thing that I feel like is not very scientific at all. Mm-hmm. So it feels like I, I'm doing like the reverse engineering thing where it's like, well, how do we control these zombies? Well, there's maybe he's got mind control powers and like there's the yeah. he understands where the will is in the brain. And so that's how we can use the drill, blah, blah, blah. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I think they're overthinking it, and I'm glad that they cut that stuff yeah. out. But the will thing is is always stands out to me as being like, well, you probably didn't need that. Yeah, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I am really glad they sort of just were like, you know what, let's not worry about explaining. <laughs> like, we don't worry about explaining all this other stuff. Why are we worried so much about explaining this? Right, yeah. Um, because I do, I do think that in a movie like this where the central conceit of West has created this reagent that is reanimating the dead. That is already so out there. And like, you need some suspension of disbelief to get into this. And it's going to cause so many crazy shenanigans that introducing something else like telekinesis or telepathy or mind control or whatever... It's like at that point, you might as well just have like Dracula and the Wolfman right. walk into yes. the morgue too. I've heard, like it, I've heard hmm. someone say in the past that when it comes to stories like this, like sci-fi and horror stories and these high concept things, you get one thing that can be mm-hmm. insane that and people will be with you 100%. Yeah. If you have two things, then you lose them almost immediately. So like in RoboCop... Yeah. The idea that they can turn a human into an unstoppable killing machine robotic cyber cyborg cop <laughs> on board a hundred percent. But if like mm-hmm. there were also werewolves in that movie, it would not work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's as much it's as sort I of still why... watch it. Uh, yes, <laughs> but it's kind of I think why a lot of the like Dracula, you know. Versus Frankenstein and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Those movies are so great and I love them, but you start to trespass into this territory of if all of these things are happening in the same world, what are the chances that nobody knows about it until right right now? And that these things have never crossed paths before and that there's only these two things. Right. Like you kind of have to start from the baseline assumption of, this movie occurs in a reality that very closely resembles ours. And then this crazy thing is introduced Mm. because yeah, other, otherwise it just starts to, it just, it just starts to feel silly. Yeah. Well there, that's an actual, that's an interesting example to use though, because Mm. I would argue it doesn't violate that rule because the, the larger idea is that it is a world in which monsters exist. And so they can sure. they can coexist with each other and it doesn't feel weird. But if it was like the universal monsters and then aliens showed up, then it would be like, mm-hmm. ah, I don't really think this works. Right, right. Like Yeah. And I and I mean in this in this movie specifically, the whole point is that 
West has discovered this compound that does this unbelievable thing that is so unbelievable that even though he is running around left, right, and center reanimating corpses, nobody believes him. Right, yeah. Like, he has the serum. He could just stand up on stage in front of thousands of people and inject a dead rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> and be mm-hmm. like, see, I'm, I did it. And everyone would have to be like, how did you do that? Right. <laughs> Was that some sort of trick or is this serum real? And it, it's kind of like, the, the point is that no one believes him. And so he's gathering all this data because he wants to unveil it in its perfect form. Right. And, and all of that. If you also had people who had telepathic powers. Yes. <laughs> this would start to get a little like, well, can't they just read your mind? Yeah. And then they know how to do it too. That, you know, that that's an interesting uh, narrative cone of vision thing too because mm. you know west is his whole thing is he wants a place to work to develop this serum and do more experiments mm. all he would have to do is do one example like do one presentation in front of like a bunch of rich guys and he mm-hmm. would be fully funded for the rest of his life but yeah. what they do with with West, as you're as you're saying, is he doesn't want to just put it out there. He wants to put it out there in a perfect form. So he can't do that. Yes, he has to constantly keep testing things and keep trying things because he's the kind of per- he's the kind of scientist who is obsessive about fine tuning and finding new information more even more so than he is about getting money to to back that stuff. Right, because, I mean, it, it's it's funny because in this movie he treats Dr. Hill as um, so much lesser than himself and yeah. then um, Hans Gruber because he says your research built off Dr. Gruber's so much so that it might as well be plagiarism. Yeah, it's referred, it is, I think they, does he say it is considered plagiarism in Europe is what they, what he says? I, I think that's what he says. Yeah. But the interesting thing is in, in, you know, scientific communities, that is extremely common. Oh, really? He's like, well, like, you know, someone, someone figures out that this chemical compound has these properties that other people that we didn't know. And then different groups and different scientists say, oh, hey, wait a minute. If that chemical compound has these properties, we could apply it in these different ways. Mm. And and then they kind of take it in different directions. So it's right. it's you attribute, you know, you know, Herbert West came up with this compound and then my group took it and applied it to whatever. So you you know, you you attribute things properly, but you build off of the the what the rest of the community is working on. Yeah. So there is this sort of like, you test your own hypotheses, you test other people's hypotheses and results, and you slowly kind of move towards a consensus within a broader community. It's not just one person puts out a paper and everybody goes, hey, wow. Right. <laughs> like some people go back and say, I don't think that's true. Like, I, I think your premise of your study is flawed. So I'm going to try this other study and I'm going to do this other thing. And... It's clear that Herbert does not want that. Yeah. He doesn't want anyone else getting any notoriety or credit for any part of his discovery. 
it's it's sort of like his possessiveness towards the serum it, 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 like you can see he's he's just a very jealous and possessive person yeah. he's like that with the reagent he's like that with dan he does not want to share anything yeah and i think um <clears throat> smartly when they when they do sequels which obviously i think there's probably a budgetary thing built into this mm-hmm. but um they always avoid going down what, what I feel like is an obvious and bad route for a reanimator sequel, which is mm. that uh, someone else discovers the serum. And so now that there's now there's like a chase to try and get it and like the government's uh. involved and all this kind of, bull, you know, <laughs> I feel like it very easily you could go down that route if you really wanted to. And I, I mm. just don't think there's anything appealing about that because <clears throat> the, the, the further you take it away from, Herbert West in a mm-hmm. gross basement bringing <laughs> bodies and limbs back to life the 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 worse it gets but it's interesting cuz it, it 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 it's interesting cuz in Bride of Frankenstein they sort of do the exact opposite they kind of do more what i'm talking about with like how actual science tends to work which is different scientists are examining the same problem yeah. and coming at it from different angles and then it's like hey we can compare notes we can learn from each other and it's it's funny that in this series of movies they kind of reject that premise because herbert west is like no 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 <laughs> this yeah. is all mine yeah i think the third one he's in jail i think the whole thing <laughs> takes place in jail i don't i haven't seen that one <laughs> probably should Probably. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, one of the other things that makes the uh, the, the leanness of the movie work uh, to its advantage is it, it allows them to do a lot of really great gags and set pieces that are, mm. I think all of them are great. I can't think of one that, yes. that I, I would go like, eh, that doesn't really work. I think they're all really good. I mean, even right off the bat with Hans Gruber, when you see him with his eyeballs exploding out of his head dying. <laughs> it looks so good for such a low budget movie. It does. Like, yeah. It looks like all the gore and, and the gruesome stuff in this looks amazing. Yeah. The special effects in this are, are very good for a movie that is yeah. as far as I know, pretty low budget. Mm. It looks really great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the brutality is pretty intense in this one too. Like, I was writing down how uh, Dean Halsey dies, and it's like he's crushed by the giant morgue door. Yes. And then um, his fingers are bitten off, and then he's like pummeled, and then he's smashed into a wall repeatedly for like yeah. an extended period of time. There's a lot of there's a lot of heads smashing into walls at, at various velocities in this movie. Yes. Um, the all of the special effects were done by uh, John Nolan. Uh, mm. he, um, he a lot of it was was done using what he described as disgusting shots brought out of the <laughs> Cook County morgue of all kinds of different lividities and different corpses. He and Stuart Gordon also used a book of forensic pathology in order to present how a corpse looks once the blood settles in the body, creating a variety of odd skin tones. Yeah, I noticed that, especially with the um, the first reanimated corpse in the morgue, the, mm. the like extremely muscular guy. Um, 
they do a really great job mimicking that sort of lividity where all the blood has pooled at the bottom of, yeah. of a body, the way it's laying down. Yeah. Detail. Yeah. It's a kind of detail I feel like you don't really usually get in these kind of things. It's usually like, I don't know, yeah. make them purple. Right, right. Like, just make him kind of all, like, very white, like, very pale. Yeah. Because that's what death looks like. It's just your, your like, chalk white and yeah. with blue lips. And it's or, like, no, no, no. And I still, as much as I love this movie, it's still a mm. baffling choice to me. Why in Dawn of the Dead all the zombies are, like, sky blue. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, green. I have no idea. I don't know. Cannot help you. Uh, do you have a favorite sequence that's a that's a really hard question yeah i um, love the cat sequence the cat sequence is really good yeah. <laughs> i didn't mean to jump in on you there but go ahead no no i i, I don't blame you um i think i kind of love the sequence where um the the headless body of dr hill is kind of maneuvering around doing yes. stuff while the head yeah. of Dr. Hill just sits in the tray, <laughs> sort of like rolling his eyes and his own fumbling body. And then like, I, I also love the sequence where he has built <laughs> sort of like a paper mache head over the anatomical head. Yes. And he's put it on the body and he's carrying his own head in the med- medical bag into the morgue. And he's like trying, <laughs> trying to be stealthy, sneaking by the security guard with this like really ludicrous looking fake head on. I think. And then he get, gets to the door and <laughs> the guard goes, is that you, Dr. Hill? And you hear from inside the back. <laughs> of course it is. I think that was the scene that got me the first time I watched this where I was like, oh, yeah. this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. This like I just <laughs> they just get it here. It's so funny. It's like. As gross and and grotesque, and in the case of the sexual assault against Meg, kind of genuinely upsetting <laughs> as this movie can be, it's still so funny. Yeah, I mean, when they do the stuff with Meg, it's like it is. It's obviously horrible, but it's so absurd. It is so absurd. Yeah. yeah. The the like shot of her tied to the table. And the headless corpse is holding the head right by her crotch. Yeah. And then Herbert West comes in and makes the crack about who's going to listen to a talking head like or something like it's just so like I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of person thinks up these things. Yeah. I, I would love to know where <laughs> in the writing process that scene with Meg showed mm-hmm. up because like that's that almost feels like one of those things you come up with like on the set or something you know it's like ah we gotta figure God, i hope i <laughs> hope not i hope for that actress's sake they had like forewarned her I think, yeah, I and think she <laughs> she was prepared and she had opted into this with some knowledge of what she was getting into <laughs> yeah she she did she said um she said she knew what she was getting into apparently there was another girl who was cast as meg and mm. then that girl's mother read the script and did and said, <gasps> you are not allowed to make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to do? Yep. Yep. Um, interesting. I, I understand that. <laughs> interesting thing I learned about Barbara Crampton is uh, she actually mm. grew up in the carnival. Her family oh. used to uh, travel around with the carnival and her dad ran a carnival game in a traveling carnival. And so I think she said, 
uh, in the fall time, mm. she and her mm-hmm. other siblings and her mom would stay in one place where she would go to school. But then mm-hmm. in the summer, they would join their father and travel around the country in the carnival. Wow. Which is... Sounds kind of amazing. Yeah. I. It's quite, quite, a, quite a way to grow up. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. But we get into that final sequence where... Uh, all hell breaks loose literally that that's mm-hmm. scene that jump scare when all the bodies sit up re- mm. definitely got me the first time i that was as soon as it happened i like jumped and then i was like oh this movie's the best it's so good yeah. <laughs> it's just like if one of you those don't like pop-up faces yeah. how do you feel <laughs> about a room full of pop-up corpses it's just one of those bits where it's like as soon as it happens you go of course that's what this was driving to there's nothing yeah. else they could have done at the end of this movie yeah, how do you, how do you match the level of what has come before? You've just you got to go big or go home. Yeah, um, and I love too in the fight, Herbert's plan, the overdose plan. Like after he mm-hmm. does that, he is still so tied to understanding and gaining more knowledge about this stuff that he doesn't leave. Like he has mm-hmm. to see what happens, and that ends up yeah. uh, <laughs> meaning. Hill's body explodes and wraps intestines around his face and pulls him into the depths of hell or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's sort of like, I feel like, and this movie does not go into this, and I think it's it's all for the better that it doesn't, but my reading of that ending scene when Herbert and Dan show up is that Dan thinks they are there to save Meg and save the day. Herbert thinks they are there because there is a great opportunity. Oh, probably. <laughs> for, sure. For like yeah. testing more shit with the serum and seeing what happens. Like, I don't think Herbert could give less of a fuck what happens to Meg. I I genuinely think he doesn't care. And he's just purely looking at this as like, Dr. Hill is doing things that I never expected to happen yeah. from a subject of my serum. So now I'm going to go you know scientific method well, him even more well also i think the reason herbert goes is because he wants to get all his notes back because oh, yeah the scene where um dean halsey kidnaps meg and and knocks out dan when herbert mm-hmm. shows up that's when he lies to him i think because he says i can't remember exactly what what he lies to him about but there, there's something oh. about the motivation about what's going on that mm-hmm. herbert basically uses to his advantage so he and dan can go to ostensibly save Meg, but Herbert's going to get all of his notes back because that's the thing he cares about at the end is he throws his notes yep. to Dan because he knows Dan will will take them. I think you're totally right because it, it, it's the scene where once they're kind of reunited after the notes have been stolen and Meg has been stolen and they're talking, Dan says Hill has taken Meg. I think he has some sort of crazy fixation we got to go save her. Mm. And Herbert just kind of laughs. laughs. And I think it's because it's like, great, you're going to help me get my notes back. <laughs> like, just, I don't need to convince you to go. Yeah. You're already in. And uh, yeah. the final, final scene, I think is a great companion to the big, the first scene with Dan, where I, I, I love that he's learned nothing because I think mm-hmm. there's, I think there's another version of this movie where Dan comes out a bit more heroic 
and like realizes how the the error of what they're doing but mm-hmm. he still has the one that one thing on his mind and now his girlfriend is dead his fiance is dead yeah and so he is going to do whatever he has to to bring her back yeah it's sort of like if he was that desperate to save a total stranger of course he is willing to do anything to save somebody he loves and yeah he didn't learn anything over the course of the movie and there's there's the trite ending that this movie could have had which is herbert he and herbert bust in they stop dr hill herbert dies dan saves meg and they ride off into the sunset together right like that's the more standard ending you would expect a movie like this to have the next step is what you were kind of just saying where he learns enough that when meg dies he has to grapple with that and come to peace with that and accept that she's dead and instead this movie goes nope mm-hmm. <laughs> like nope he's just gonna he's just gonna continue the cycle and he's now gonna bring her back and god only knows what that would result in yeah because the other thing running through the movie too is it reacts differently to different corpses based on mm-hmm. when they've died, how they've died, how, you know, that kind of stuff. And Herbert, the sort of running thing with Herbert is like, we just need a fresher body. And yeah. so I feel like, I feel like uh, also in the back of Dan's mind is like, well, maybe this is the one, maybe this is enough. Well, yeah. And, and so that the two fresh bodies we've seen are, Dean Halsey and Dr. Hill. Yeah. All things considered, I would call Dr. Hill a success. <laughs> I mean, kind of. More so than more so than Halsey. Well, Halsey still like Halsey I think is actually a really interesting case because before he is lobotomized with the like laser drill or whatever they call it, um he is not violent directly towards anybody mm-hmm. he kind of is cringing back like he's horrified true yeah like he it, it's sort of like some part of him understands that he is some kind of monster now mm-hmm. and so when megan bursts into the morgue during that sequence after her dad has been resurrected she tries to run up to him and he cowers in the corner and hides his face from her right yeah like, he doesn't get violent and attack. He He's, like, horrified. And he yells when, when the security guard comes in and says, Dr. Halsey, are you okay? He yells something at the security guard that sounds kind of like get them or arrest them or mm. something like that. So I think he's actually, like, kind of a relative success as well. Whereas Dr. Hill, like, this all happening to Dr. Hill has kind of, like, freed him to go be the sort of psychotic monster that he always wanted to be deep down. Yeah. Well, I I think at the very least something mm. something goes wrong when you come back. Yes. Yeah, and then that's yeah, that's maybe more what I'm kind of obliquely trying to get at, which is that like it it changes something in you that either if you were any sort of good person, it seems like it drives you crazy, and if you were any sort of evil person, it just makes you more evil. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah yeah great ending great movie yep um it is as we mentioned before it's based on the hp lovecraft story 
not a ton of the story makes it into this. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, Bride of Reanimator, the first sequel, is a lot closer mm-hmm. to the story. Because oh. um, uh, Reanimator, the the Lovecraft story takes place, it's it's kind of told in vignettes. I think it, I think he was writing pieces of it that came out in, a, in magazines, like weekly or yeah, monthly or something. Yeah, I think it was serialized. Serialized, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so... You get a section where he, where West and who ostensibly is Dan, are in World War One as medics, I think, because mm. West sees it as an opportunity for a lot of free bodies. Which in in <laughs> Bride of Reanimator, the movie starts with them in the middle of like a, a civil war in Nicaragua or something like that. So they do that there. Oh God. Um, there's. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that happens in the in the Lovecraft story happens in Bride of Reanimator. Um, <clears throat> Bride of Reanimator, not a hmm, not a great movie. It's hmm. uh, Stuart Gordon didn't direct it. It was directed by Brian Yuzna, who directed Society, which is oh. one of my favorites. But it has a lot more Society energy than it does uh, Bride of, than it does Reanimator energy. Got it. And the story just like isn't as tight as this. However. Mm-hmm. Much like society, the special effects are worth the price of admission. Yeah, um, it goes yeah, nuts. Yeah, it goes nuts. Like it starts. Uh, West starts just like piecing disparate body parts together and dumping reagent on it to see what happens. And so you've get you get like these little monsters that are fingers with like eyeballs grafted to the top oh, of them that start man. like skittering around and stuff. But the uh, the thrust of the story is Dan is um, despondent over the death of Meg, mm. and Herbert uses his grief as an opportunity to build a person from scratch, and so they start collecting body parts from all these different people who have died and piecing them together, the centerpiece being they have Meg's heart. And so they oh, put wow. Meg's heart inside the bride. And the end of Bride of Reanimator is one of those rare times where I was watching a movie and I was and I said to myself, you know, it would be really awesome if X happened. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what happens. And I was like, oh, perfect movie. Because <laughs> what ends up happening, spoilers for Bride of Reanimator, but it's just so great, mm-hmm. is the bride comes to life. It's a really disgusting, great make up for the bride and yeah. she has her freak out you know uh dan rejects her and so she ends up like it's basically the end of bride of frankenstein sort of shifted so uh-huh. like she decides that she's like better off dead and she wants dan to love her so badly she reaches into her chest and pulls out the heart and ha- and like oh, wow hands it towards dan and then as that's happening her entire body crumbles to pieces. Wow. It's fucking great. <laughs> and uh, So she's sort of both bride and Frankenstein's monster yes. from yeah. Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah that's, it's, that's awesome. It's worth watching for th- those the special effects. And Hill Hill co- makes a return and he's got he flies cuz oh. he's got bat wings on his head now. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, which I think is actually something from the original story. I can't remember exactly, but this this sounds like one of those movies that is it could easily be one of the ones where 
if you saw it when you were young enough or tired enough or whatever, that years and years later, you think you made it up. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yes. (laughs) I would say it's not as good as the original, but it's worth checking out just to see the effects and how, how gnarly it gets and crazy it gets. The uh, awesome Beyond Reanimator haven't seen, but like I said, I think it takes place in a in a in a, a prison. Um, mm. And unfortunately, I don't think there'll be any more because Stuart Gordon unfortunately passed away. But um, he and oh. he had uh, he did a bunch of Lovecraft stories, a lot of them with Jeffrey Combs, and uh, at least one more with Barbara Crampton. They all mm. reunited to do From Beyond, which is a pretty whacked out movie. That would be interesting for us to do eventually cool but he also did dagon and uh there's another one i'm forgetting they did a movie called castle freak which is not a, i don't think is a lovecraft story but never heard probably of probably could have been it's a fucking weird movie it's like it's <laughs> i recommend it because just because okay. it's so strange the whole thing is shot at this castle in like romania that the producer owned and mm. it's like Barbara Crampton and uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs play a married couple who have this like teenage daughter who's kind of like disaffected and all this kind of stuff. And they move into this castle, which one of them inherited or something. And mm-hmm. there's there's this like horrible mutant monster who's been chained in the dungeon of the castle forever. And it's just it's a, it's a wild movie. It's it's pretty, pretty crazy. Sounds fun. Um but yeah, I, I don't I don't know uh, if there's much left to say on Reanimators or anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap it up. Uh, I I think that was I think that was it for me. How do you feel about the placement on the list? It's number forty eight. I think I said. Uh, honestly, I'm kind of surprised at it. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised it cracked the top fifty. A rare good move from this list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just be you know I I know everybody knows this by now. I tend to look at this list as it like a combination of quality of the movie and the sort of legacy of the movie. Yeah. Like how much of an impact has it had? How much longevity does it have? And also how good is it? Yeah. And like this movie is a great movie in the sort of horror subgenre that it is in. Mm. But like you were saying, it is a little more obscure. Yeah. Like it's a it's a little lesser not lesser known but just you have to have have dived a little deeper to get to this one and so i'm not mad that it's number 48 but i am surprised yeah i'm i i like the play i i would probably kick it in maybe drop it a a hair into like the the early 50s yeah but uh yeah i'm surprised that they they put this movie so high on the list given Mm -hmm. the the more classic movies that are more traditionally highly regarded that that are are behind it lower on the list so yeah exactly doesn't forgive this doesn't forgive you for the uh, placement of the exorcist and the shining though list so yeah not getting off that easy yeah yeah see it's again I, i i always think of these things kind of in comparison to one another as well and when you think of the placement of movies like that hmm and then you compare it to this one, it's kind of like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. Re- oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know. strange. Here we are. But I think that's going to do it for Reanimator. Next up, so we, we're, we're, we're doing something a little bit different because Amanda is uh, traveling the world for a little bit. So uh, what we're going to do next is we're going to do a wild card 
And it's going mm-hmm. to, well, it shouldn't be a wild card, but the new change of the list screwed everything up. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be joined by Wes, or I am going to be joined by Wes, because Amanda will be yes. uh, below the equator. <clears throat> I will be somewhere in some sort of jungle working on my reagent. Yes, I hope so. Uh, but Wes and I will be doing, so the next few episodes are going to be Wes and I doing Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, which mm. uh, I'm very excited to finally do. I'm bummed that you won't be here to do it, though. Um, I feel like I should just watch it and send you my notes. I Please do. I'd be happy to. <laughs> a voice memo or something. Yeah, please do. I'd be happy to, to, to plug it into the show. Cool. Um, that'll be a good movie to watch in the middle of your vacation. And then uh, after that. I love it. Yeah, I, I bet he. I bet he will like that one. <laughs> he might actually. Yeah. yeah. And then after Nightmare Three, uh, uh, my cousin who runs a uh, car, used car dealership. No, uh, my cousin who runs a <laughs> website and podcast. You're really pivoting the podcast while I'm <laughs> yeah. gone, huh? <laughs> Listen, I want to talk about the 1987 Ford Taurus, and he's the only person <laughs> that I know. No, uh, he runs a, a website. And a podcast called Shadows of Noir, which is all about film noir. <clears throat> and cool. so he's going to be joining me to do Night of the Hunter, which is on our list. It's number oh. uh, 36. And then uh, after that, Wes is going to be back for one more for a um, episode we haven't, uh, a movie we haven't chosen yet. And then once Amanda is back, yes, we will be hitting our 100th episode. Woo! Now, I was trying to figure out what to do for episode number 100. And I think I have an idea. <laughs> Um, it's going to be, we're going to be covering something, but we're also going to do a, a question and answer thing. So if, ah. if anybody out there has, has questions, uh, or answers or answers, um, send them our way. Uh, we'll figure out how to do that in the coming weeks, but, um, thank cool. you guys for listening. And if you want to follow us along as we do Halloween this year on Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash the Penske file. Uh, Amanda will be we're not missing any of those with Amanda so she'll be on all of them so don't worry all you I would never don't worry all you manned heads (laughs) out there she's still covering Halloween I could never let someone else have the pleasure and the honor of covering any of the Halloween it actually would have been really funny and fitting though for you to have done Halloween and Halloween 2 and then not be in Halloween 3 just pieced out for a couple Yeah. yeah Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.